And I want to remind us of this today, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work in you will be faithful to complete it. We need to be confident in that as long as we're on this earth, that the Lord has a work for us to do, that we might be, in some sense, hiding in the cave of our basements, in our man cave for the guys. In that sense, we think that the Lord is done with us, is finished. And, you know, if we'd seek the Lord, we might discover that, you know, I have some things for you to do. Your race isn't finished yet. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're getting into Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. We're going to look at the first 16 verses. I titled this Grace is Grace. I based it off of one of the verses in the text itself because Paul is talking about God's grace versus works of man. And so far we have seen in Romans chapters 9 through 11, Paul has been pouring out his heart concerning his people, the nation of Israel, and his great love for them, but also God's work among the Gentiles, God setting aside the nation of Israel while salvation is coming to the Gentiles. He's dealing with this topic of election and God's sovereignty over all the nations of the world. He's doing this in chapters 9 through 11, and we're kind of winding up uh, that really a great portion of scripture that speaks about the sovereignty of God and how he elects some who would come to faith in his son Jesus Christ, while others who would reject the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll touch on this more after we get past chapter 11, but this is a strong concentration of these things. So today we're going to look at grace is grace from Romans 11 verses 1 through 16. I've broken it into three sections. First of all, we'll look at the election of grace in verses 1 through 6. Riches for the world, verses 7 through 12, and the first fruit and the root, verses 13 through 16. I'll go ahead and read our first point, the election of grace, verses 1 through 6. I'll open us in prayer, and we'll get into the teaching of God's Word. Romans chapter 11, verse 1 says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, 
of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left. They seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Father, we pray that you would bless the teaching of your word. Help us, Lord, to see that which the Spirit is saying to the church today, to this church, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Paul, talking about setting aside the nation of Israel in order that the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles, he'll mention that here later on in verse or chapter 11. We'll look at that the next time we're in this chapter that the fullness of the Gentiles would come in, that he had set aside the Jewish people, that God was doing a work among the Gentile nations at this time. But he argues concerning the election of grace that God has not permanently set aside Israel. In fact, he gives himself as an example in verse 1, saying that God has not cast away his people For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul uses himself as evidence. And apparently some of the Gentiles was teaching that the church now, the Gentile church, had replaced, had replaced Israel. And Paul says, no, I am of Israel. I am of the seed of Abraham. I am of the tribe of of Benjamin. He gives a short rundown of his pedigree, saying that I'm an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He goes into a longer rundown of his pedigree when in Philippians 3 verses 4 through 6, he says, if anyone else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is found in the law, blameless. Paul said to his Jewish brethren here in Romans chapter 11, I want to use myself first and foremost as an example that God has not set aside permanently set aside the nation of Israel, for I am of Israel. I am of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So apparently some of the Gentile believers believed that they had replaced Israel. And sadly, even today, there is a term called replacement theology in the church today that says that the church has replaced Israel in all of the plans and the promises of God. And yet the Bible teaches us that God's covenant with Israel is an everlasting covenant. So how could the church replace Israel if God's covenant with Israel 
is an everlasting covenant, God himself said in Genesis 17:7, I will establish my covenant between me and you, speaking to Abraham, and to your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. What do you think of when you think of everlasting? You think of something that will always be there, right? It's going to last forever. For an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And sadly, this teaching has caused great damage to the relationship between Israel and the church today. It has also caused many within the church to forsake the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But Paul goes on to give another example. That in the time of Elijah, in verses 2 through 4, we have this example from Elijah saying again, um, has God cast away his people whom he foreknew? Or do you not know what scripture has said of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets. The they that Elijah is referring to is the Israeli people, his own people, that they have killed God's prophets. They had tore down God's altars. And Elijah says, I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed a knee to Baal. It was immediately following his victory on Mount Carmel or Mount Carmel, as I was raised to say it, that Elijah had 450 prophets of Baal slaughtered and 400 prophets of Asherah executed. When Queen Jezebel heard of this, she sent message to Elijah, and she said this in 1 Kings 19.2, So let the gods do to me and more so, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So Queen Jezebel sent word to Elijah and said, Just as you have killed my prophets, by tomorrow at this time, within 24 hours, you're going to be a dead man. Well, even though God had given Elijah great victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah ran for his life. He first ran to Beersheba, where he left his servant, and then he ran a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and he prayed, Lord, just let me die. I don't know if you've ever gotten into a place where you just ask the Lord, I'm done, Lord, just finish me off. Let me die. Don't want to take my own life, but Lord, take my life for me. He sat down under this broom tree, and the Bible tells us that an angel twice came to him, told him to arise and to eat and to drink the water that he had provided for him. And the Bible tells us that Elijah went in the strength of that food and that water for 40 days and 40 nights, and he went as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the mountain where Moses met with the Lord over 700 years earlier. Once at Horeb, Elijah spent the night in a cave, as if he was hiding there in the cave, far away from Jezebel and any harm that she might want to bring to him. And then the Lord asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And he answered, 1 Kings 
19.10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord graciously commanded Elijah, go out and stand there out of the cave at the foot of the mountain. And once he was outside, it tells us that a great and strong wind tore into the mountain. And then the Bible tells us that the Lord was not in the wind. And then that there was a great earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Then came a great fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then came a still, small voice, and the Lord was in that still, small voice. And after hearing the voice, Elijah wrapped his face. He stood in the entrance of the cave, and then God repeated the earlier question. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah gave the Lord the same answer. I don't know if you've ever done this in your prayer life, but just keep repeating the same prayer over to the Lord. Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, for they have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life as well. Then the Lord revealed to Elijah that he wasn't finished with him yet. In fact, he told Elijah that I want you to go and to anoint Hazael, the king over Syria, Jehu, the king over Israel, Elijah, the prophet in his place, the prophet that would take Elijah's place. And then he said, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and every mouth who has not kissed him. Elijah wasn't alone, and sometimes we get in that place where we might feel like we're all alone, but in the days of Elijah, and that's what Paul wants to remind the Gentile people here, is that God has always had a remnant of the elect in every generation, and even so now, he had a remnant of Israel that was coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6 and I want to remind us of this today, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a work in you will be faithful to complete it. We need to be confident in that as long as we're on this earth, that the Lord has a work for us to do, that we might be in some sense hiding in the cave of our basements in our man cave for the guys. I don't have a man cave, but... Uh, in that sense, we think that the Lord is done with us, is finished. And, you know, if we'd seek the Lord, we might discover that, you know, I have some things for you to do. Your race isn't finished yet. We also need to remember that, as the Lord said in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, that God is with us. We next see in verses 5 through 6, grace is grace. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer works. 
God still had his remnants of true believers, not based upon the things that they have done, not based upon the things that we have done or will do, but wholly based upon God's grace and God's grace alone. Grace is grace. Works is works. We think about the nation of Israel prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Their covenant relationship with God was based upon works. But no longer, because when Jesus came and gave his life upon the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection from the grave, salvation then became based upon the grace of God, the very work of Jesus Christ. Nothing that we ourselves could possibly do. What we can do is depend upon the work of Jesus. Grace is grace. In Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, we read, But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are justified not by works, but by the grace of God. And if we need to remember one thing in this message, may we remember that God's grace is greater than all our sins. We next see that the riches for the world, verses 7 through 12. I'll read the context for us again. We pick up in verse 7 of Romans 11. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their backs always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world, their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So we begin looking at the riches for the world in verses 7 and 8, and we discover this spirit of stupor that had come against the nation of Israel. He says, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Israel is God's chosen nation. God's chosen people is documented by their promises, their covenants, the laws which God gave to them. Remember, this everlasting covenant that God gave to Abraham and his descendants after them. But sadly, the nation attempted to obtain God's righteousness through the works of the flesh while setting aside the grace of God and the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. By works, no one can obtain God's righteousness. The righteousness of God is a gift of God that comes by the grace of God. In Romans 10, 3 and 4, we read, For they have been ignorant of God's righteousness, 
seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The nation of Israel, many of the Jews, or a majority, we might say, of the Jews, they sought to establish their own righteousness by keeping a tally of all the laws that they have obeyed. Maybe by comparing themselves to the righteous acts that they had done, comparing themselves to what they had seen others doing. And sadly, they refused to submit to the righteousness of God that only comes by way of God's grace, that comes and has been revealed to us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ took our sins upon the cross, paid our debt there upon the cross, that it's not by works that we are saved, but by grace and God's grace alone. They were blinded by their own ambitions, trusting that they had sight, but were in fact blind. Jesus said in John 9, 39 through 41, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to Jesus, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Sometimes we can become so blinded to our own ambition, our own thoughts, our own trusting in what we believe, perhaps what the Word of God says, without actually confirming if it's actually the truth of God's word. We come up with our own understanding of the word of God. We come up with our own theology, believing that this is what God, God's word teaches. We twist what scripture says to our own liking. This is what Israel had done during Jesus's day, during the day of Paul. But they had neglected to see that even in the Old Testament scripture, that everything that God had done was pointing toward the coming of the Messiah, his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace is grace. Here in Romans 11, 1 through 16, we have seen the election of grace in verses 1 through 6, that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. In verses 7 through 12, and the riches for the world, that true riches are found through the saving faith of Jesus Christ. You know, if we allow Jesus Christ to enter into our hearts, to seat himself upon the throne of our lives, then he will impact the way we conduct ourselves and the way we speak, the way we work, the way we walk. He'll impact our actions, how we respond to things. Back in 1910, Julia Johnston wrote a song called Grace Greater Than Our Sins. And the chorus of that song goes, Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And Father, I pray that we would know that grace today. 
Lord, first and foremost, it's an issue of our salvation, whether we are truly followers of Jesus Christ or not. Lord, that perhaps we have been basing our relationship with you upon the things that we do, our works. Today you are showing us that it's not by works that we are saved, but by grace and grace alone. First and foremost, Lord, that is the important thing, that we would each come into the saving faith of Jesus Christ through your grace, Lord, that we are saved. Secondly, Lord, perhaps we haven't been the greatest example to others. And Lord, perhaps it's a simple prayer that we would desire through our actions, our work, our words, our deeds, Lord, that you would help us to provoke others to jealousy, that they would see us and say, I want what you have. So, Father, I pray, as believers in Jesus Christ, that we would allow you to be that first fruit and that root that, Lord, we ourselves would be made holy. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.